Amen. How are we doing, Salt Company? Good to see you all. Jacob's really optimistic. I'm going to preach for 30 minutes. Most of you that know me know that's probably not true, but that's all right. We're going to have a lot of fun. We are starting a three-week mini-series. There's the graphic. Why? Like, like even, why even are we doing this? Uh, we're talking about why we do what we do in the church. So if you can't see those three little emblems, the first week, why we gather. We're talking about that today. Second week, why we sing. And then week three, why we preach. We're talking about these rhythms that the, the Christian church has been doing now for nearly 2,000 years. And many of you have likely participated in. But I'm reminded of this quote from Simon Sinek, who is a well-known author and inspirational speaker. He says, very few people can clearly articulate why they do what they do. And by why, I mean, what is your purpose, cause, or belief? Why do you do what you do? And why should anyone care? Have you ever thought about this? Like, why are we even here? And when we're here, why do we choose to sing? Why do we choose to sit down and listen to a guy like me open up the Bible and talk at you for 35 minutes? You ought to know why. Like, if you're participating in them, you ought to know why you're doing what you're doing. Now, many of you come in tonight, and you have your own why. I think about why I used to come to church. And as a little kid, it kind of started with, oh, I came to church because I could hang out with all my friends and then color on the coloring sheets while the pastor talked about stuff I didn't care about. And then I hit junior high and I came because I had to. My parents made me. I really did not want to go. And then I fast forward to college, at least my first several years in college, and my why was the exact reason I didn't come to church. Because I thought about all of this, like what we're doing, and I said, that is boring. It's lame. Like, I have better things I can give my time to. I can be more productive. I can have more fun somewhere else. But something clicked my junior year of college, and my why changed because I caught a bigger picture of why this is important, and it's never been the same. Like, now for the last 10 years, this whole thing of church, like what we do on Sunday mornings and what we have the privilege of giving you a shadow of on a Thursday night has not been something I have to do, but something I get to do, something I delight in doing. And so I don't know why you're here tonight as we talk about gathering. I'm sure there's a wide range some people are like, I'm here because I have a ton of spiritual questions and I really want to learn. And other people are like, I'm just here because there's a cute girl and she invited me. And everywhere in between, maybe you're here because you like the music, maybe you're here because, I don't know, you think I'm cool, probably not. Uh, maybe you're here just to hang. You're just here to hang with the, with the boys, right? But the question I want us to ask is, why would Veritas Church put this on. Like, when you think about what goes into a church gathering, we're talking staff, we're talking a lot of money and energy and resources, people volunteering their time. Like, why are we doing this? And I was kind of forced to think through, is this just a cultural norm? Like, 
It's been embedded in Christian culture. Are we just repeating it in the name of, well, this is what we've always done? Because when I think about the, the biblical era, it makes a ton of sense why they gathered. First and foremost, it was an oral tradition, so not a lot of people knew how to read. Literacy was really low, and so they would gather, and they would retell stories from memory. This was their way of you know, transcribing stories and sharing information. They didn't have technology. Weird, right? Access was really low to good content. And on top of that, religion really formed the communal hub of the city. Not just like the temple or the Christian church, but even like pagan worship, it was like the communal hub religion was. But let's fast forward. Like we live in 2024. You do have technology. Your access to content is through the roof. Like you could listen to somebody that preaches way better than I do. You can listen to podcasts. You can read articles any day of any week. Most of you are pretty literate, most of you, right? And when you think about community, like the church is probably one of the last places that comes to mind for culturally where people find community. There's so many places you can find community today. So the question is, why are we still gathering in January of 2024? Kind of seems odd to me. But the reality is, it's not just a cultural norm. It's not just something that we do because that's what we've always done. There is a bigger purpose to gathering, and I trust that if you just catch a glimpse of this tonight, Salt Company, you will never want to miss a gathering again for the rest of your life. So we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you, pull it out. Uh, I'm going to read through our text once, but we're going to look back a lot at it. So whether you use a Bible app on your phone or have a physical Bible, open up to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Use a table of contents if you need it. This book is written by a guy by the name of Luke. He was a physician by trade. He was a follower of Jesus, and he was a travel companion to the Apostle Paul, who planted a ton of churches. And because he was a physician, he is a good record keeper. He keeps a tight, detailed account on the formation of the early church. And I want to talk about that word church really quickly before we settle in. So the word church, the root word is ecclesia. And here's what that word means. Gathered ones. Gathered ones. That's what the word church means. Gathered ones. So why does the church gather? Because that's what makes it a church. The fact that people are gathered, local expressions, of followers of Jesus who profess their faith and allegiance to him, overseen by pastors, elders. That's what a church is. But what's happened a lot over the last 20 years, and most of you just have caught in the narrative because you're about 20 years old, people saying, church isn't about a building. And to that I would say, amen. It's not about a building. But here's what it is about. Gathered people. This has been an excuse for so many people to try and live their Christian life apart from the local church, to say, well, church isn't about a building. Correct. It's about people. In fact, and people gathering. And to the person that's like an opponent to belonging to a local church, 
I would say, find me one Bible story in the New Testament of somebody who has lived life apart from a local church. You literally will not find it. Instead, what if you just opened up your Bible and started reading it and said, who were these letters written to? Newsflash, churches, real people in real places with real local expressions. And how about this one? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. To that I would say, amen, you're right. You also don't have to be in water to be a fish. But if you take the fish out of water, how's it going to do? Not well. And I would say the same to you. If you are a Christian and you are not connected to a local church, you are like a fish out of water. And you're still a fish, but you need to get in water quick or you're going to fade. Okay? So this detailed account of the church in the book of Acts gathered people, local expressions. Jesus has already risen from the dead. And in Acts 1, we see him tell his disciples, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. You're going to receive power, and then you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He goes up to heaven. The disciples are staring into the sky. An angel appears to them, and he's like, why are you looking up at the heavens? Kind of like, get to work. So they go to this upper room. It's around the season of Pentecost. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's this Jewish harvest festival. And about 120 people are gathered in this upper room. Meanwhile, Pentecost, this harvest festival, is happening. And every able-bodied Jewish male from around the world all comes to Jerusalem for this event. It was mandatory. And God does exactly what he says he would do. He pours out his spirit on this 120 people in this upper room, and they all start speaking in intelligible languages that they don't know, but that people from around the world are hearing their own languages, and they're like, what is happening here? This is insane. But rather than thinking, wow, God must be doing something, here's what they say. These dudes gotta be drunk, right? Like, this is, you guys are crazy, maybe you're drunk, and Peter's like, nah, fam, okay. They're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. They're not drunk. Here's what happened. God poured out his spirit, but he preaches this lengthy sermon to tell them, here's what happened before God poured out his spirit. Jesus was the promised Messiah, the savior that people have been waiting for for thousands of years. And by the way, rather than you accepting him as your savior, you rebelled against him. In fact, you crucified him. You killed him. But he resurrected, he rose from the dead, and he defeated death, he defeated Satan, and he's come to set the captives free, and now he's poured out his spirit, and it says these people were cut to the heart. They saw their sin clearly, they trusted Peter at his word, this Jesus really must be the Messiah. And they asked this question, what must we do to be saved? And then you get to see the birth of the first church in Jerusalem. 3,000 people baptized because of Peter's preaching and God pouring out his spirit. 3,000 people saved. And then we get to our text today. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42. It says, And they, this early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So before we dig into this text tonight, I want you guys to look at the third word of verse 42. This word is devoted. Devoted. I would encourage, if you have a physical Bible, circle that. It's an important word. Devoted. To devote oneself to something is to commit to it. To give all or a large part of one's time or resources to. And the root word in this text implies a sense of perseverance, endurance, strength in the midst of difficulties. It's a matter of giving. Giving your all. And it's going to be hard. It's anticipating difficulties, but it's to commit when it's hard and to give. And there's a huge mistake in our day and age that says church is actually not something for me to give to, but something for me to get something out of. And that's what creates this culture of us showing up to something like Salt Company or a Sunday morning church service and viewing it as an event to consume rather than a family to belong to. And it goes tragically wrong. Because when you have a consumer mindset, you will come and you will take until something goes slightly wrong and then you will never come back. I think about our SALT staff team a couple years ago, went out to a local restaurant, I'm not telling you which one, and one of our staff members, I'm not telling you which one, got super sick, like both ends, not good. And guess what? We haven't been back since. Because we're consumers, like we're gonna come to this restaurant, we're gonna eat their food, we're gonna like it until something goes wrong, and then we're gonna peace out. That's what a consumer mindset does, but when you say, oh, the church is not just something for me to get something out of, but something for me to commit to, to give myself to, you start to view this like a family. And when I think about somebody that's devoted to their family, I think about my wife, Ellie. I mean, number one, she puts up with me. That's insane. And she just graciously, day after day, week after week, month after month, like sacrifices for and serves our family. She loves our kids so well. And do you think we're perfect? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. We do a lot of stupid stuff, sometimes together. But rather than her just saying, well, I guess I'm not getting my back scratched anymore. I'm out. Here's what she does. She says, I'm going to continue to serve. I'm going to continue to give. And I'm going to figure out when something goes wrong, how we can reconcile, how we can make this work because we're a family unit. And that's what it looks like to commit to a local church. In Salt Company, I want to just walk you through three ways tonight from Acts chapter 2 that gathering is about our devotion. So here's the first one. We gather to devote ourselves to God. We gather to devote ourselves to God. Now, what I don't want you to hear is that you come to church to get salvation. That is not true. That's not what we're talking about. You have to keep in mind that the Christian faith does not start by something you give, but something you receive. 
right? Ephesians 2 says, For you were saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one might boast. This text here comes only after all of these people have been saved by grace through faith. It's not about what we do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. But what is their response? Like the moment these people are saved, what comes just after that? It says, they devoted themselves to God, right? In a roundabout way. Here's what they did. They gave themselves to God by surrendering to him in prayer, by submitting to him in the scriptures. They gave themselves to the teaching. They gave themselves to God by savoring him in the fellowship of family. They gave themselves to God by singing to him songs of praise. And so, company, you need to know that gathering is ultimately about God. It's not about you. Like, he is at the center. He is the prize. This is all about him, and he's inviting us to be a part of it. Now, to continually commit to him, a few ways that we do this as we gather. First is we want to be obedient to God. To just simply obey him, we come together and we gather. Hebrews 10, we're going to have a lot of scripture tonight, so you don't need to write it all down, but references could be helpful. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the command, don't neglect to meet together, aka gather, come together. Colossians 3, 15 and 16, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. We'll come back to that language here in just a minute. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's clearly a command that we are to come together, to gather as a local church, and if we want to be obedient to God, we're gonna listen. That's one way we devote ourselves to God is to be obedient. Secondly, we want to corporately give God the worship he deserves. We want to corporately give God the worship he deserves. An event came to mind as I thought about this. It was back in 2018. My wife and I were down in San Antonio, Texas, uh, visiting one of my friends who goes by G. Everybody say G. G. So we were visiting G, and I just so happened to find out that the Spurs were playing the Warriors in a playoff game. And I was like, this would be kind of sweet. We found cheap tickets. We found our way there, and it happened to be Manu Ginobili's last home game. If you don't know who Manu Ginobili is, future Hall of Famer, really big deal. And he was with the Spurs forever. Like, everybody in San Antonio loves Manu. He went off, like, scored 10 of his 16 points in the last minutes of the fourth quarter. They beat the Warriors. The place was erupting, like, absolutely erupting. And I was talking to G, Afterwards, he didn't come to the game. He watched from his couch at home, and he was like, dude, how loud was it in there? And I was like, insane. I couldn't hear Ellie. She was right next to me. It was so sweet. The volume was pumped up. There's no way that I would have cheered the same if I was at home on a couch as I did being in the arena with all the Spurs fans. 
And when we come together, we actually turn up the volume on our worship. We are swept up to engage God as we should because here's what happens. You understand that this whole restoration plan of God is not about you. It's so much bigger than you. You catch a bigger view of God's grace and his goodness as you see a whole family of God praising him. You're swept up into God is big and he's beautiful. I think about Sunday mornings that I've been here and I see people that I know are going through complete heartache. Like people who have had stillborn pregnancies, like raising their hands in worship and I'm like, God is good. If he can satisfy them, I can praise him through what I'm going through, right? I see little kids like dancing around and it's like, man, look how sweet God is even to an eight-year-old in this room. Like, I can worship freely if they can. So we gather together to give God the worship he deserves. I think of 1 Peter 2.9. Peter writes this, but you, better translation, y'all, Y'all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession for this reason, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You belong to a community to worship God and to worship him together. This is why you belong to a family, to give God the worship he deserves. And lastly, we devote ourselves to God by loving what God loves. The church is given multiple different pictures throughout the Bible. The two that I think of most frequently are the body and the bride of Christ. The body and the bride of Christ. I want to talk about quickly the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 24, it says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, y'all, are the body of Christ and individually members of it, right? To love what Jesus loves is to say, hey, if Jesus laid his life down, not just for me, but for this local expression, this local church, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna care for the body that he laid his life down for. So if I see people suffering, I'm gonna suffer with them. And if I see them in success, I'm gonna rejoice with them. That's what I'm called to do. I want to love what Jesus loves. That's one way I give myself to God by gathering. Which leads us to our second point in tonight's text. We gather to devote ourselves to God's people. To devote ourselves to God's people. In verses 44 through 46, you see this crazy sense of community says they had all these things in common. They were selling their possessions, their belongings. They were distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread, eating meals in their homes. They received food with glad and generous hearts. I mean, the picture that comes to mind for me. Anybody here love Veritas Cafe right out here? Anybody? All about it. Um, my drink of choice is a matcha latte. I mean, if you're feeling earthy, it kind of makes me feel cool every now and then because I'm like, not a lot of people drink it. It's a little niche. But I think of ordering my matcha latte, and if I get it in a for here cup, it's always just filled to the absolute brim and placed on this little tiny dish. 
And then I try and walk with it. And I can't take but like two steps and it's just spilling over. And that is what has happened in this early church, you guys. They have so received the generous love and grace of God that they can't help but take one step in community and for the love of God to just overflow in their community. Just say, I cannot help it. Like, Jesus gave it all for me. He laid his life down for me. The least I can do is sell my stuff to give to somebody, to care for one another's needs. This just comes naturally because I've encountered the generous love of God. I want to love other people. Now, I want to talk about a couple misunderstandings in these, in these verses. The first, it says, they had all things in common. What I want you to know is that's not about uniformity, but unity. That doesn't mean they all looked the same. That doesn't mean they all had the same interests. That doesn't mean they all had the same socioeconomic status, clearly. Very diverse group of people. They had a lot of differences, but it says they were unified. They were united because they were united in Christ. They all understood that they were sinners in need of a savior. They all were satisfied by Jesus. And because of that, out of the overflow of this unity, it says they started giving away, right? What's mine is yours. There's no sense of like, this is off limits. But this leads to a second misunderstanding. God's word is not promoting socialism. Like some people have, that are hyper-political look at this and they're like, is this the beginning of socialism? No, it's not. This isn't mandated by a government. This is the natural overflow of what's going on in these people's hearts. It's based upon need. You see that in verse 45. As any had need, they were choosing to do this, to care for other people's needs. And they didn't just go to the temple together. They shared life. They, they were in each other's homes. It's not just about sharing their possessions, but sharing their life. Think of 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, so being affectionately desirous of you, like because we so loved you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. That's what it looks like to belong to a good church family. We don't just gather on a Sunday to like, you know, unite under the gospel for 90 minutes. We're sharing life, we're coming together, we're giving to one another, we're serving one another. In fact, those two words, one another, there's about 60 different commands in the New Testament to live out the one another's in the New Testament. I'm gonna give you a few. Galatians 5.13 says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the, for the flesh or for yourself, but through love, serve one another. Chapter later, Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. James chapter 5, which we're marching through as a church here on Sundays, says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. And then I think of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 13. To his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And this is insane. Just as I have loved you. Think about how Jesus has loved you. <laughs> Generously, humbly, sacrificially, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You're, 
committed to God's people. And this leads to our last point. We gather to devote ourselves to God's mission. To devote ourselves to God's mission. Because what Jesus says in John 13, 35, right after, he says, hey, just as I've loved you, love one another. And then he says this, John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What he's telling his disciples is, by loving one another, the world around you will see your witness and you will have great missional influence. Just by looking at the way you love one another. This fall, we walked through Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, where Jake came and he taught, you are the salt of the earth. Better translation, y'all are the salt of the earth. Again, community. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Y'all are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't take a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather they put it on a stand and give light to all the house. In the same way, y'all need to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right, when you look at Acts chapter two, what's happening is from the overflow of what they've received, they devote themselves to God, they devote themselves to his people and here's what happens. The Lord adds to their number day by day. There's this huge missional influence as they just begin to love God and love one another. You see, the church is God's missional plan A, and he does not have a plan B. When he thought about, how can my kingdom expand to the ends of the earth, he dreamed up local churches. Ephesians 3 says that it's through the church, through local assemblies, the manifold wisdom of God is put on display. And the local church is not just how we put the gospel on display, it's how we prepare to actually live on mission. Ephesians 4 lays out this passage where he says, hey, God has created the church and its leaders, this establishment, to do this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip you to know, love, and follow Jesus and to help other people do the same. So, We'll work on wrapping this up. Why do we gather? We've already seen it. We gather to devote ourselves to God, his people, and his mission. To devote ourselves to God, his people, and his mission. And I want you to know, this is going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. That's why the word devote is there. You got to commit. You got to give. You got to persevere. There are going to be weeks, months, maybe even years where you start to say, maybe I'm going to check out. Let me plead with you, do not do it. Do not do it. Because one of the inevitable outcomes when you just commit to the local church, we see in verse 43, it says, awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. And if you would commit to the local church, you would be in awe of God. You would be in awe of what he has done and what he will do. You will just be wrapped up in, we have an amazing God. Look how big he is. Look how good he is. 
And I think there's people that are in this room that it's like, you want to be in awe of God, but you're not. And I think maybe, just maybe, it's because you haven't committed to gathering the way God wants you to. You're missing out on awe because you're missing out on gathering the way God wants you to. And there's an invitation. And as someone who has committed, not for my whole life, for the last 10 years, I'm telling you, you will get more out of it than you will ever give. It's not the point. The point is that you would give, but you will get more out of it than you could ever pour in. And as we talked about at Salt Company Conference, one day you will look back and you will say, like Paul to the church in Ephesus, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think or imagine, to him be the glory in the church. One day you will be able to look back and say that if you would commit to gathering the way God wants you to. So that's a pretty compelling why. But that's not going to just get the job done. If you walk out and you're like, wow, I should gather. Okay, what do you do? I want to give you three next steps to help you not just know the why, but the what. So the first is this. Commit to a local church. Jacob said at announcement times, this is not a local church. Salt Company is a ministry arm of a local church, but we are not the local church. Commit to a local church gathering that meets on a Sunday that is overseen by a pastoral team that, yes, of course, models what we get to do here tonight, that preaches the Bible, that sings praise, that lives in community. And for some of you, that means you just got to start showing up on Sundays. That's a baby step. Like, just commit to showing up. But some of you have been showing up for a while, but you don't belong yet. I would say the call to you is start to serve Start to meet new people. Like, shake somebody else's hand and say, how long have you been coming here? Start to belong to a church family. Secondly, live in community. Stop trying to follow Jesus alone. Bare minimum, I think this is the least you can do. Commit to a connection group. Commit to a connection group. Get connected and share life with other Christians. If you want to be obedient to Jesus, you need to live out the one another's. You can't do that in a closet. <laughs> you need other people. But I would say the best thing you could do is not just to be in a connection group, but to belong to a multi-generational church. To get around followers of Jesus who have done this decades longer than you've even been alive. And I'm telling you, if you come to Veritas and you came up to somebody that just looks quite a bit older than you, and you shook their hand and you said, hey, I'd love to get to know you. Could I come over to your house for supper sometime? They'll feed you, literally. It's like free food. Come on. And you get to hear somebody else's testimony. You get to learn from them. Even guys like me, I've been around longer than you. I've paid a lot of dumb tax. Like, you don't need to make the same mistakes I did. You should get around people that are my age or older, and you should say, if you could go back to college, what would you do differently? What mistakes did you make that I could learn from? How are you still following Jesus faithfully in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? Like, get around a multi-generational church. And then lastly, if we want to be missional, we have to invite other people in. Like, it is so selfish to belong to a community like this and keep it to yourself. To be around people who have helped you bear burdens, people that you've been able to, like, 
peel back the layers and stop living a hypocritical life, to be the real you, to be seen and loved and cared for, why would you keep that to yourself? Because you're afraid of what people would think of you? No. People are desperate for this type of community. Why would you not invite them in? Come to Salt Company with me. Come to church with me. And beyond that, maybe someday you'll graduate college and you'll say, man, I love this local church, but there's people across the nation, there's people across the world who don't have healthy local churches. We belong to a church planting network that says we want to plant other healthy local churches in other states, in other nations, on the other side of the world because this is God's missional plan A. So to invite others in and to ask God, what might you do with me? What might you do with me? And at Salt Company, our vision, Jacob touched on this, our reality is that we want to help you follow Jesus forever. We really, I mean, I, I hate not to speak poorly, but as your college ministry director, I could give a rip less about your next several semesters if it doesn't impact your next 70 years. Honestly, like I hope you have a great time in Salt Company, but I'd much rather you be following Jesus when you're old, wrinkled, cute, crunched over, and on a rocking porch on a chair, testifying to God's faithfulness. That's my dream for you. And let me just personally plead with you. If the next 10 years of your life look anything like the last 10 of mine, you will just be blown away. You'll be absolutely blown away. Because, just think about my wife and I, we have both helped people and we've been helped. Right, through really challenging seasons. We've been carried through seasons of infertility. I mean, when we adopted our boys, people showed up on our doorstep with hundreds of dollars of gift cards. People bought us meals. People prayed for us. Like, we have not just helped people, we have been helped. And we have helped carry other people through really challenging seasons and said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And we've had people do that to us. When we've struggled, when we've wanted to quit when we have been downcast, people have carried us and said, fix your eyes on Jesus, keep going. And it's insane, absolutely insane. Even just standing in the back tonight and looking at this room, you guys have no idea how much the family of God has grown just by people committing and giving. We're talking four years ago, there were like, 60 people showing up to Salt Company, and we were thrilled. <laughs> we were like, praise God, there's 60 college students. This room is insane to me, let alone thinking about Ellie's like, personal coworkers who have come to know Jesus because they visited here on a Sunday, and their eternity has changed. Again, if you guys even experienced a fraction of what I've had a front row to the last 10 years, you would love it. You would absolutely love it. But let's be clear. It's all about God, right? This gathering, it's all about God. And even the mission, it says, 
and the Lord added to their number day by day. This is not about us. It's not like we do the saving. We want to be faithful. We want to commit to God, commit to one another, to live missionally. But at the end of the day, it's all about him. He does the saving, and he gets the glory. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we just thank you uh, for the, the opportunity to gather tonight. And though we understand this is not the Sunday gathering, this is not the local church, we get just a glimpse into the beauty of what it looks like to gather, to devote ourselves to you, to sit under your word, God, to sing praises to you, to be able to help other people sing praises to you, to care for one another, to pray for one another. Many people coming in feeling burdened, worn out, exhausted, beat up by the winter, by mental health, by family problems. Lord, we need one another. Thank you for every student here that is committed to caring for other souls in this room. And God, we're blown away at what you've done in Cedar Rapids this year over the last several years, but we trust, God, that you want to do more, more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And the shocking reality, God, is that you want to use us. You could save people any way you wanted to, but yet you designed the church. You've used ordinary people for thousands of years so that our boast would not be in you, but that our boast, our boast would not be in ourselves, but that our boast would be in you. That you alone would get the glory because you alone do the saving. So help us worship you now, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.